grateful, grateful uh, to be here this morning. My name's Mark, for those who don't know me, and if you're visiting with us or just checking it out, we're glad to have you here. If you're not a church person, welcome, because we are a whole bunch of non-church people too who just happen to get together here as followers of Jesus, and uh, glad, to, glad to live out what he's done in our lives. For those standing in the back, um, welcome as well. For those listening on uh, or tuning in on YouTube, watching live, uh, we had friends last night watching from Haiti. There's some that have told me they'll be watching from Germany today so, uh, and, and elsewhere. Perry Sound, welcome. Uh, those obviously could not make the trip today. For those in Cayuga and Fisherville, you could have made it, but we're glad you're watching. So um, we've been, if you haven't been here, we've been talking about this passage from uh, Ephesians, talking about the armor of God. And if you went to Sunday school, well, maybe like me, that was your favorite lesson where you could like, you were allowed to build weapons at Sunday school and take them home and use them on your siblings. That was like, those were the greatest, greatest weeks. But I've learned since then that that wasn't the purpose of uh, the armor of God. And so we wanted to look at a little bit further. And so last week, we just simply talked about the good news, that you can trust the good news, but you better trust it because the enemy is going to be trying to take, take the, to pull you off, push you off of that foundation any way he can. And he'd be super happy if, you know, your Christianity was just a religious tradition that you did on Sundays, then he's thrilled. But we believe for so much more because we believe it costs so much more and that it can be so much more. And so let's jump right in. We started with Paul being in prison. Uh, if you can picture, maybe, you know, this prison cell is in Rome. Uh, Paul may have been sitting in a prison cell, something like this. And as he sat there, you know, maybe as he's looking and he's writing this letter that he sees, you know, a prison guard sitting by the door and thinks, you know what, <sighs> maybe I could use him to inspire Jesus followers all over the world. And so he begins writing about this armor. He begins writing about you know, the, what he sees in the physical armor, knowing people would see that, but he says, you know, there's something, there's a, there's a bigger battle going on. So here we are, Ephesians 6. If you have your Bible, grab it. If you don't have one, you can download one. Uh, the YouVersion Bible app is one we recommend. You gets you a chance to be in the Word. It will also read to you. I'd encourage you not to put that function on right now. You'll be embarrassed as everybody looks at you because I'm going to read it to you. So here we go, Ephesians 6, verse 10. A final word, which we learned means from now on. From the time that you hear this, from the time that you learn this, to live this way. So it wasn't like, oh, last week we did that, and now, you know, Monday by Monday, it was like, ah, we're back to normal. He's like, I want you to live a certain way from now on. And he says, you, I want you to do this. God's not going to do this all for you. You're the one who needs to be strong, but you got to be strong in his strength, not your own. Be strong in his mighty power. And then it says, put on, which meant intentionally, like you put on clothes, intentionally put this on too. Put on God's armor all of it, so that you'll be able to, and those words, what are they? Everybody together, what are those words? I know, it's like somebody walked in, I'm lost, like I, we're back, stand firm, that's the whole purpose of what we're talking about this morning and what Paul was writing about, he said, I want you to stand firm against the strategies of the devil, because I don't know if you realize it, but there's an enemy out for your soul, for your marriage, for your relationships, for your kids, for every part of you, there's an enemy attacking, and Paul said, listen, you got to be able to stand firm, he says this, verse 12, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, we're not fighting against people. People might drive you nuts, but we're not actually fighting against them. But you are in a battle. You're in this wrestling match with evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. 
Paul's saying behind everything you see is a world you can't see, but that world is just as real, and it affects this world. And if you, just, if you pretend that it doesn't exist, it has even more uh, power in your life. And so Paul says, as a result of that, you're in a battle, and you're in it every day. Verse 13, so therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. You notice he doesn't say you need to conquer the enemy. Jesus already conquered the enemy. That's what we just sang about. You took me out of that clay and you set me on a rock. He did what we couldn't do. And then he says, now stand there. Don't get knocked off of that place. You've been set free. Stay free. Live free. Live in this new life I've given you. And realize the enemy hasn't given up. Till the day you leave this planet, he's going to try and attack you. He says, but resist the enemy in the time of evil. And after the battle, you'll be there it is again, standing firm. Because that's the point. He says, I want you to be the one standing firm. He says this, stand your ground, verse 14. In case you have missed it the first two times, there he is again. Stand, stand, stand. Put on the belt of truth. Why? Because your enemy's a liar. If you want to stand against him, you're going to need truth in your life. And the body armor of God's righteousness. Why? Because he's going to try and tell you you're not righteous. He's going to get you focused on you and your behavior. You know, you, you swore at the cat on the way out the door this morning. You got here late. You're in the back. You were jealous of those who got better seats than you. And now you're sitting here and like, all of a sudden, all those things kind of go in your mind. You know, I'm not righteous. And he's like, listen, you're righteous because of what God did, what Jesus did for you. You are right with him because of what Christ has done. Don't lose sight of that because then you're going to try and earn it. He says, I just want you to live in it, to stand in it. Verse 15, for shoes put on peace that comes from the good news. Knowing the, the good news brings peace in our hearts. He says, and you'll be fully prepared. Verse 16, this is our verse for today. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Hold up in a way that you plan to use it is what he means, the shield of faith. The word shield is only used once in the New Testament, this particular one. There's all kinds of other uh, uses of a word shield, and they all mean this little round uh, shield that was used in close-to-close in -close, uh, hand-to-hand combat. But this, he's saying, it's definitely the shield that the, the Romans used their word. It's like a big door, six feet tall, like a big square thing that just covered all of you. You stood behind it. It was like hide-and-seek. Nobody finds you. You're, you. you're not seen. He says, this is what I, he says, I want you to have this, this all-encompassing, covering all things thing called faith. And this morning, as I was prepping up for this, well, I wasn't prepping this morning. Um, I, I do spend a little bit more time than that uh, getting ready. As I was prepping for this, to share this this morning, uh, I, I realized this, is, this one was a scary one to get into. Because some of the other ones are easy to talk about. Righteousness, oh, that's awesome to talk about what Christ has done for us. To, to talk about the good news and peace, it's fun. But faith, faith is like, it's a huge topic. It comes up in the New Testament over 288 times directly. And then it comes up more times, uh, hundreds more times indirectly in relation to it. And it's an incredibly misunderstood word. The word faith, if I were to walk around today, it's faith not really a religious word. It has religious connotations, but it's not actually a religious word. But if I were to ask around this room and say, hey, give me your definition of what faith is, and then I ask the next ones down the road, uh, and you'd find out that pretty much everyone in this room has different ideas of what faith actually is. There's all kinds of different definitions of what, what people would have for this word faith. And so to clarify this morning, uh, I want to take a quick look at some of the things that it's not. Some people, some Christians would say faith is a belief. And maybe you were like, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Faith is a belief. You know, people ask, hey, do you believe in God? Well, yeah, I believe in God. Okay, well, then you must have a faith. You have a faith if you believe in God. 
So I have other questions for you. Do you believe in life after love? May I sing that for you? Do you believe in life after love? Some of you are like, I, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. But now that you have, do you believe in life after love? Okay, then um, you have a belief. You have a faith. Do you believe in miracles? I believe in miracles, but I won't sing the rest of that. All right. You know, or, or thanks to George Michael, you know, you just got to have faith. I can't sing the rest of that either. All these inappropriate songs that are now lodged in your mind. But these thoughts of faith, as long as you just believe something, you have faith. Well, James, the brother of Jesus, commented on it. And he said it this way, James chapter 2, verse 19. He said, you say you have faith, for you believe that there's one God. Good for you. That's what he says. And for so many, that's the thought. Hey, do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. Oh, good for you. You have faith. You're a Christian. And you know what James, the brother of Jesus, said to people who thought that way in his day? It's not for me. It's from him. You say you have faith, for you believe that there's one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe that. And they tremble. Well, second, I don't want to be in that company. What James is simply saying, that you just have this idea of faith. Oh, I believe there's a God. He's like, that's not what the faith, that's not faith that we're, uh, we're talking about. He says in verse 20, how foolish. He says, can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Just believing, just believing something isn't enough, isn't enough. Some people think of faith more in that idea of being enough. They think of it more like the force, like Star Wars. It's like if you have, you know, the f- people, they have strong faith. All of a sudden, the young people are like, "Woo, Star Wars. See, I see your heads look. You'd be amazed what I see from up here. We'll just leave that up there. It's grabbing great attention. That's perfect. But that idea, if you have enough faith, if you have enough, you know, the force being strong in you, uh, then anything is possible. Have you may- maybe you've heard that. Maybe that's your thought. If you have enough faith, anything is possible. Have you ever thought that? Heard that? No hands needed. No hands needed. Because I know there's a group of people that come by that thought process honestly. They're like, if you have enough faith, anything is possible. They get that from guys like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke write the accounts of the, the life of Jesus. And they, they were, some of them were there. Other ones asked the eyewitnesses. And they said, what, what did Jesus say? And they began to write down these things. You can fi- find the story. I'm just going to give it to you today, share it with you. But you can find it if you'd like to. Go home. Matthew uh, talks about it in Matthew 17. Mark talks about it in Mark 9. Luke talks about it in Luke 9. We're going to use Matthew's, uh, part of Matthew's account, but they all give a slightly different details or additional details to the story. But the story goes like this. When I say story, I mean account because the eyewitnesses told us this is what happened. Jesus and his followers were uh, on their way, and all of a sudden a man comes up to them, a father. And he runs up to them, he gets down on his knees, he says, Jesus, I'm begging you. I'm begging you to heal my son. Can you picture that for a minute? And I'm begging you, as parents, he says to them, he says, Jesus, my son, he's moonstruck is what the word is. It's where we get the word lunatic from. He's like, there's something wrong with him. We don't know. We don't know if it's spiritual. We don't know if it's physical. But let me tell you what keeps happening. Every time that we're by the fire, something throws my son into the fire to burn him. And when we're by water, if it's deep, something throws him into the water to try and drown him. We can't figure it out. I took them to your disciples and I asked them, can you guys do something about this? And they prayed and they did their thing, but Jesus, nothing happened. Can you heal my son? And Jesus' words to him was this. If if you believe, all things are possible. 
And he's like, Jesus, I came here because I wanted you to do something. And Jesus' return is like, hey, but I want you to do something. And the Father's comment is, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief, do something. And says so Jesus has compassion on the man and he heals his son. And there's great rejoicing everywhere except in Jesus' posse. They all celebrate and they leave. Jesus leaves and the disciples come up to him like, Jesus, tell us something. <laughs> tell us something. They said, you know, we, you, you sent us out into the world to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. And here's what they said in verse 17, or, or verse 20, sorry, of Matthew 17. They ask him, Jesus, why couldn't we do it? And his response is this, you don't have enough faith. And this is where a lot of people get, get, grab onto that thing of there's all these levels of faith you have to have. He says, you didn't have enough faith. I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, if you've seen one, they're tiny. He says, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move and nothing would be impossible. What I found for many is that they found these verses without ever finding the context of the gospel, the context of the story. And they've, they've, they've latched onto these words that, man, if you've got faith like a mustard seed, you can move mountains. In other spots, it says you can uproot a mulberry tree just with your, with your faith. I don't know if that's impressive, but it was to them. If you have enough faith, you can do this. And people bought into believing that if you can get enough faith, you can get anything you want. The problem is the main word in that sentence is you. If you can get enough faith, you can get anything that you want. The problem, I think, comes up with this question is how much is enough? How much is enough? If enough faith, if a mustard seed is enough faith to move a mountain or to uproot a mulberry tree, how much faith do you need to cure the common cold? How much faith do you need to, like, make the flu last 12 hours instead of 24? How much faith do you need to be healed from cancer? See, because sometimes we have these belief systems and we just think, oh, that's okay. And yet, and yet they can be incredibly deadly. And that's why I want to talk about it this morning. I read this week of an article in the Huffington Post. You can look it up if you'd like. The writer tells a story of a man who was raised in a church that basically said these types of things. If you can have enough faith, if you can stir up enough faith, anything's possible. Anything can happen. God will do anything. And he says, you know, it was, it was good up until the point where my mom got cancer. And he says, in that point, he says, you know, as she was in the hospital and things weren't going very well, he says, the pastor came and said, we just need more faith. Let's pray that our mustard seed faith will grow. We just need a little bit more. And he said, we just need more people. And here's what he said. He says, we were certain that if we prayed and believed the cancer would be removed, it would happen. She would get better. They prayed and they believed. And she died. He said, you know, the night before, the night before, they said they actually had the whole church gathered there. And they were in the hallways of the hospital. And they were on their knees praying with hands raised. You know, God, increase our faith. Increase our faith. We just need more faith. Something's missing. We just don't have enough. And after she passed, the pastor simply said, someone in this room must not have had enough faith. Do you know something, though? You guys all say, woo, as if that's the first time you've ever heard a story like that. <laughs> the problem is, when I read this story, it was like, man, I could put names and faces in that story of people I know. And you know the, uh, I just got real quiet, but. <laughs> you know, talk about some real stuff this morning. The writer of this said it was the man, the son, who just said, you know what, I think it must be me. And as a result, he says, I don't want to have anything to do with Christianity. And it says these words, he left faith. 
He left faith, possibly never to return. And my thoughts when I read that is just that heartbreaking thing that he left faith thinking faith was a belief, thinking that faith was this force that you could make something happen if you could just get enough of it. I was raised in, in, a, in a belief system like that as a child. You know that if you could have enough, you could get whatever you want. The problem with it is it creates this hierarchy of people where there's people that have great faith. These are the people that have awesome faith. We need to get that. If we could get that person praying or if we could just get enough people praying, if we can just get enough of our faith together in one room, we can get God to answer this prayer. And the problem is the hierarchy of that. All of a sudden, when somebody does pray for someone and they get healed, all of a sudden they become a celebrity. It's like if we could just get that person to come and pray for, for us, if we could just go to that meeting and get them to pray, something will happen because God moves with their faith, with their faith, as if it was a force. And they treat it like a force that they can use to force God to do what they want done. And when it doesn't work, it's those, that sentence, oh, well, I guess, I guess you didn't have enough faith a way to try and control God, a way to try and control people, and they call it faith. And some of you, those have been your encounters with faith. Faith is either this, oh, it's a belief. Faith is like, oh, it's a blind trust. You know, you just, if you believe, then it's true. Or this force that if you can get enough of it, it's gonna, it's gonna happen for you. And you know, it's almost like I see Paul saying, hey, that shield of faith, it's almost like you took something and you're using it for something else. It'd be like us going back to that day and finding somebody who had a shield and he, you know, on his hut, he doesn't have a door. And he's like, well, this looks like a door and sticks it on there. And then he's out next day in battle and he's about to get destroyed. And they're like, where's your shield, bro? He's like, I'm using it as a door. Well, that's not what it's for. And so, you know, goes home, is like, okay, takes it off the door and it's like, this actually looks like a table. This would be great. And sets it up, puts all the food on it out, out the next day, you know, in battle. And they're like, bro, where's your shield? Oh, we had dinner on it last night. I think it's still there. You know, or the next day, it's like, oh, it's boring. Takes the kids out, hops on the shield and goes tobogganing. And he says, yeah, it's not for that. It's never for that. And I think that's what happens sometimes to us is we have this idea of faith and we end up using it in every way but what it's used for. That it was meant to be used in battle and for myself, you know, the, as I think about these stories over and over, and as I read through the accounts of Jesus talking about faith, when I grew up, it was this confusing thing. It was like, how do you know if you have enough? What, if you believe, it, it, are you believing enough? Are you not believing enough? What are you believing? What's it in? It, do I have little faith? Do I have lots of faith? And it was confusing to me. And I don't know if it was for you, but my hope this morning is that I don't think Jesus meant for any of that to be confusing. I don't think the New Testament writers meant for it to be confusing. I think somehow in our culture, we made it confusing when it was never meant to be. But it was meant to be simple. And my hope today, my hope today is that it would come back to simple. That faith is not just about a belief. It's not a force. It's not a religion. It's not just blind faith. It's not, you know, about how much you have. You know, if it's mustard seed or how much you get or how it works. But simply, do you have it? Simply, do you have it? Hebrews 11, the writer to the Hebrews gave us our classic definition of this word called faith. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Maybe you've heard it before. I put it in New King James because it's the most common one I always hear. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Anybody heard that before? We can do show of hands for this one. Yeah, so some of you grew up in the same places as me. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And as I thought, man, you know, faith, what is faith? And it, it, all of a sudden, it's, it's a little bit confusing. Let me, just, let me just break down the words in Greek for you for a minute. Uh, everybody ready for a Greek lesson? Yeah. All right, let's, uh, let's do it. Faith, the word faith in this sentence is the word pistis, I think. I'm, my Greek's a little off. But 
That's the, that's the spelling of it. Faith simply is, this word pistis means belief with the predominant idea of trust or confidence. That's what that word means. Faith, it's the belief with the predominant idea of trust and confidence. What about substance? Because faith is a substance. Substance is hypostasis, which means confidence, assurance, or firm trust. Faith, this belief with the predominant idea of trust, confidence, is a confident assurance, a firm trust. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. The word hope, elpizo, which means full confidence, hopefully to trust in. You see any common words in those three definitions? Confidence. What else? Trust. I think they're like, man, let's just use some, let's just use words that are going to tell us, tell us what this one thing is, that, that faith is confident trust. Long and short of it, plain and simple, confident trust. Do you realize that all of you have great faith? All of you have incredible faith. You're thinking, oh, in the religious terms. Let's not think that way. Let's think this way for a minute. In physical terms, this chair, anybody with confident trust simply does this. Man, I had confident trust that this chair was going to hold me up. None of you walked in here and was like, oh, checked out every chair. It's like, ooh, those legs look strong enough. Yeah, they got all the stoppers. Perfect. Let's see, let's see, let's see. No, none of you. You all have great faith in chairs. Because it's not a religious term. Many of you have great faith and it comes in other ways. For instance, if your boss, you know, on Friday said, hey, man, you're doing such great work. I don't know if bosses do this anymore, but they say, you're doing such great work. We're giving you a raise. It starts in the next couple of weeks and you go, you go home and you're like, honey, guess what? I got a raise. Did you have an extra cent in your bank account yet? Some of you are nudging your bosses. You're like, hey, my boss is here. I hope he hears this. <laughs> I tell you, I see it all. All right. It's over in that section. Over there. All right. That idea, that idea of you don't have an extra penny in your bank account. Why didn't you go home and say, honey, we got a raise. Why? Because you had confident trust that your boss would do what he said he would do. You didn't have it yet, but you were so confident that he was going to do what he said he was going to do that you went home and said, hey, we got a raise. That's amazing faith. Do you know the thing is when it comes to religious things or the ideas of God or spirituality, it's simply saying, just like flopping down in that chair, just like saying, man, my boss, I know. God, I'm confident. I just have a confident trust that you are who you say you are and you can do what you say you can do. And that is great faith. This great faith, this confidence that God can do what he said he can do. Not all this other stuff. I wonder, I wonder if people today with our views of faith if we were the ones reading the letter that Paul sent, and Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, hello from prison. And a whole group of people would be like, what? Paul, you're in prison? You must not have any faith. What are you still doing there? What are you still doing in prison? Haven't you heard about Peter? Peter had great faith and got busted out of prison. What are you still doing in prison? For those who know the story of Peter, it's fascinating to me because we use that as these stories of great faith of Peter who was in prison, real prison, chained up. He's praying, God, get me out of here. He's got the whole church gathered at night in a home praying, God, we're praying for Peter to be set free. And all of a sudden in the middle of the night, something happens. A messenger of the Lord comes to Peter and says, hey, wake up. The chains, it says they fall off and you can read about it in Acts. Peter gets up. He thinks he's dreaming. He walks through past the doors of the guards. He walks out past the outside of the town. He's completely set free. And he's like, oh, this is a wonderful dream. And then all of a sudden, he wakes up. The messenger's gone, but so are the chains, and so is the prison, and so is everything else. And he's like, what? 
I didn't, I didn't actually think it would happen. There he is. So he runs and he knocks on the door. Hey, everyone. He's like at the prayer meeting, knocks on the door. You know, and, and Rhoda, this little girl, she comes to the door and says, who is it? He's like, it's Peter. And she's like, oh, we've been praying for you to be set free. And she just leaves the door closed, runs back and says, hey, everyone, everyone, we've been praying for Peter. Stop praying. Stop praying. Peter's set free from prison. You know what they say? Oh, silly girl, that's not possible. Praying and praying and praying and believing. Really? Because it didn't really matter whether they believed it or not. God was going to set Peter free from prison. And it wasn't about their great faith. It was about their great God. And here, regardless of how much they believed or if they had enough, it happened. It happened. And we would say, oh, you know, Paul, Paul, like, you must not have enough faith. But the writers of Hebrews wrote this, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith, the confident trust, is the confident trust of things you can confidently trust in. And for by it, in verse 2, for by that confident trust, the elders obtained a what? Everything they wanted. They obtained everything they prayed for. They obtained a peaceful, rich, and healthy life. No, they obtained a good testimony, a good story that would say that at the end of their lives, no matter what happened, God is good. No matter what happened, I was left standing in the end. This, this confident trust in God, you can have it, and you'll be left standing at the end. You know, it's that idea of God simply saying, hey, would you trust me? Really? North American church, would you trust me? Really? How many of you, you know, stories that started out like that with your buddies never went well? Be like your friends say, hey, just trust me. And you're like, oh man, those stories are the ones I regret. Just trust me, we can make this jump. You're like, man, I had a broken arm in three places. You know, just trust me. This stock is going to quadruple in five months. Just give me all your money. We're going to invest it here. We're going to be rich. Just trust me. I know what I'm doing. It brings back these things of like, oh, I don't know if I should have trusted those people. And sometimes, you know, when it comes to people, you can't trust them. And don't misunderstand the thing of saying, oh, just go trust everything and anything. Oh, they're at church. I trust them. Because sometimes trust actually needs to be built. Sometimes you need to see things for yourself in order to put your trust in something. And there's a powerful thought in that. This, uh, this week, uh, Beth was telling people about it last night, so I'll just come clean um, in case you hear it through the grapevine. But it's not, it's not really that. So... Uh, a while back when we were building our house, we had this massive leak in our roof. And so midway through the thing, there was all kinds of water pouring through inside the ceiling. It was just a terrible, disastrous occasion. And it did something to me. Beth thinks I have PTSD because like, I'll see the kids spilled water on the floor and I'll be like, whoa, no! I'm looking up thinking, it's leaking somewhere. That's not the proper response I hear. So, um, but, but I have this thing where it just like, as soon as I see that, it's like this, this big thing. So the other night, I'm laying in bed, and it's windy, and I hear all these creaking sounds on the roof, and I'm like, oh, no. Because the first roofers told me, we're going to put on an awesome roof. You can trust us. And, and it, it just wasn't awesome. And then the repair, they said, you can trust us. It's not going to leak again, and, and it did. So then it's like the third ones, I'm like, they said I could trust them, but I'm laying there in my bed, and I hear a creak, and I'm like, oh, it's, it's windy. I'm pretty sure it's all blowing off the top. All of it's going to be gone, and it's supposed to rain a lot. I better, and I'm like, I can't sleep. And finally, I'm like, I get up, and Beth's like, where are you going? I'm going to go find out for myself. And I went out there in the middle of the night with my big flashlight and I'm shining all over the roof. I'm like, 
It was ice melting. And uh, that's all it was. And I was like, but you know what? Guess, what? Guess who could sleep after they get went in that night? Why? Because I went and I saw for myself. I wasn't just going to just blindly trust because it's not about blind trust. It was like, okay, I've seen for myself. I can confidently trust. Then a couple of days later, it got rainy. And guess where I was? In the attic with my flashlight. I went all through my whole attic yesterday uh, just looking for any... I know you look at me as if I'm crazy. I might be. But... <laughs> but but to have that confident trust that every time it rains, I'm not going to be looking. I had to see for myself, and there's something powerful in that thought when it comes to this. So many people, for you, your faith is like, oh, somebody told you, just believe this, and it's true. Here's the Bible, just believe it, and that's kind of been the essence of your faith, and you've never actually went to just say, I just got to see for myself. I need to see for myself. I need to actually find out. You know, and when it comes to faith, when it comes to this thing of confident trust, there's some people I think you should know. If you were to come up to me and ask me, hey, Mark, I got this problem with my car. You know, can you help me with that? I'll tell you this. Trust me, I know nothing about cars, but I know someone who does. You need to meet my friend John Stegenga, or you need to meet my friend Bruce. He left because uh, I told him I was going to say, if you have car problems, just ask him after the service. We'll put his number on the screen at the end. But I don't know anything about that. But what I do know, I know someone you should, you should know. And maybe you come to me and ask me, hey, Mark, you know, can you tell me about how to better budget and whatever else? And I could tell you a little bit, but I would tell you, no, you know what? I think there's someone I, would, I think you should know, and his name's Larry. You know, if you came to me and said, hey, you know, I want to go fishing. Where's all the good fishing spots? I'd be like, I know a few, but if you really want good fishing, you need to go talk to the guy with the mullet in the back, Bob. He's the guy who can help you know. He, you need to know this person. Maybe like, I want to buy a guitar. I have one, but I would tell you, you need to know Chris Stone because he will actually be the one who knows way more about that. There's people I think you should know. And when it comes to faith, you could say, Mark, you know, you're a pastor. What do you think about this? I would say this. There's some people that I think you should know. I think there's some people that you should know. Here's one of them, Hebrews 11. The author of Hebrews writes this. <laughs> I love this. Don't miss this story. It's about real people. It says this in verse 8, Hebrews 11. It was by faith. What's that word faith mean? Confident trust. It was by confident trust that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home. It wasn't his mother-in-law saying, hey, you need to leave. It wasn't like, you know, a cousin from another country with an email. Hey, buddy, we think you should come over here. He's like, I know it's God. I know that I know. And I'm going to leave home. I'm going to go to a land that God said he would give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going because it's not based on sight. He said, and even when he reached the land that God promised him, he lived there by confident trust because he was still like a foreigner. He's like, God promised I'm going to own all this land. I don't see it yet, but you know what? I have confident trust. So did his son Isaac and his son Jacob who inherited the same promise. They just had this confident trust that God would do what he said he would do. Verse 10, Abraham was confidently looking forward. And I, I didn't change that word. That's what they're describing. This is what it is. He just confidently was looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Verse 11, it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child. And some of you read that and be like, it was by confident trust that Sarah was able to have a child. Whoop-dee-ding, until you find out that she's 90. <laughs> you need some confident trust in something if you're going to have a child when you're 90. But it gets better. It gets better. It says this, though she was barren and she was too old, it was by confident trust that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. They said things about women back then you're just not allowed to say today. But she confidently trusted that God would keep his promise. If he promised it, he would keep it. Verse 12, and so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. And I find that phenomenal as well, that they would write that down in there. 
because he wasn't as good as dead as he was about to die. The guy lived for like years and years later. He said basically his love life was as good as dead. He needed some confident trust because there was nothing else for him back then. Confident trust that God would keep his promise. I know if I was Abraham, I'd be like, God, you really have to write that in there. Like personal details. But he says this. He says, that would be a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there'd be no way to count them. He just confidently trusted God. And you know what? We, we're the ones who see that that promise came true. All these people, says this, they died still believing. They died still believing in what God had promised them. They didn't receive all that was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. And they agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on the earth. They, the, the, the powerful thought is that they didn't see it all happen in their lifetime. But when they died, where were they? They were left standing. They were still standing. They were confidently trusting that God was who he said he was. You know, and that faith, this confident trust, Paul writes, it's about this life, but it's more than this life. To the Corinthians, he said, this confident trust, this faith, it lasts forever. It's really, really important. Ephesians 6, as we wrap this up, verse 16, in addition to all of these, over top of all these other armor, he says, hold up the shield of confident trust to stop the fiery arrows of the devil it's going to quench, that confident trust in him will quench those darts that the enemy tosses in your mind. And he says fiery darts, like back in the day, a fiery dart was double deadly. If it hit you, it hurt. But if it didn't hit you and it started burning up your house, it's just going to hurt you later. And for us, we have the same thing that happens in our minds. The enemy tosses a dart in that can hurt you now, and he tosses some in there that just stay in fester for a while and they hurt you later. He'll toss one in of anger and all of a sudden you just blow up at your kids and that hurt. Sometimes he just tosses it in there and you sit there seething for weeks about somebody till it burns you. He tosses a little doubt dart in there and like, eh, I wonder if that's true. And if you let it fester, all of a sudden it's like, eh, I don't believe any of this is true and it's whatever. Tosses little things of worry. Oh, you know, man, my one bill, I don't know if I can make it. And a week later, you're like, ah, I'm going to be bankrupt. And it's like the, the things in there, like God's like, I got you. But you get so focused on these things and they just burn you. Why? Because you don't have that confident Trust in him, the confident trust in him. He's not talking about physical weapons. He's saying, man, over the armor that you have, he says, when the enemy tosses darts of lies, you just hold that up. You've got the belt of truth, but you can be confident that that truth is gonna combat those lies. When the darts of condemnation come in, he says, you know what? You're righteous in Jesus. I mean, you can be confident. It doesn't matter what it is. You can be confident that his sacrifice paid for it, that his grace is sufficient for you today, that his mercy is new every morning, that you can stand free and you can live free. The darts of bad news, you'll be a man, I got a confidence that there's good news. The good news is that it's not all about this life and that brings peace to my heart. You know, the doubts of the fear of death, man, those darts that come in, you can have confident trust in your salvation, that there is eternity that he paid for, that you are living in now and death is just just a blip, blip on the radar from here to there where you really come alive. The darts of doubt, did God really say? And he says, you can have confident trust in his word, the sword of the spirit. The darts of self-doubt, where it's like, oh, I don't know if I'm good enough, if I'm good enough. He's like, man, you can have confidence in him that where you're weak, he's strong. When you're in need, he's there. When it's dark, he's light. When you're hopeless, he brings hope. That, that confident trust is like, it's, it's everything. It covers my whole life. And in the end, after the battle, you're the one left standing. Because that's what it was always about. My question sometimes is, is that what we're living really? Do we really have that confidence? It's just like Paul. 
You know, when Paul writing in prison, people are like, Paul, do you, oh, ye of little faith, you're still in prison. Paul's, you know, writing in prison. Well, if we were in prison, what we'd be doing? Mom, bail me out, please. Hey, I don't like Bubba in the next cell, right? Whatever it is. It's like, get me out of here. God, get me out of here. What's Paul doing? God, man, I'm here in prison. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm wrongfully convicted, but you know what? You got me. You got this. I'm confident in you that you haven't forgotten me. You, you know what's going on, and I trust you. You know, I, I, thinking about trust, I'm going to write some letters to some of these other Jesus followers who may find themselves in places who just need to trust. <laughs> he writes the Romans. Angels, principalities, powers, doesn't matter. Bring it on. I've got confident trust that God's got me. Whether it's life or death even. If I'm going to die in here, it's all right. I got confident trust in him. Prison, persecution, pain. All right. I have confidence in him. How many of you have that kind of faith? To be honest, I can't even raise my hand to say that at all times I have this confident trust. Because that's what the enemy's attacking. To drag that confidence in him and make it about us in some way. In some way. But to live a life confident in his goodness, confident in his good news, confident in his truth. And that's freedom. It really is. That's the peace. You know, we're so tempted to try and control the situations in our lives. We want to control anything that we can. You know, in the end... He says, I just want you to be the one left standing. I've seen that over the last little while of people who do have it. People who have this incredible confidence in God. And it's like, it's amazing. It's amazing. I have a friend of mine. You know, he's uh, in a hospice near the end of his life. And we ask, you know, we talk and have questions. Hey, brother, you know, do you have any questions about things? You know, I'm thinking he's going to ask me these questions about, you know, What's, what's heaven going to be like? Or what are these things? Or, you know, these, these, these end-of-life questions. Do you know that he didn't ask any of those? He asked me some random questions. I was like, I was laughing because I'm like, you know, why are you asking that? And he's like, don't you know? He's like, hey, like, you're going to be in heaven. He's like, yeah, I know all that. God's got all that already. I just want to know, you know, the, uh, some of these other details things. I'm like, man, how is, how is his mind in that place? Why? Because he's just got confident trust in his Savior. I look at people like Toby Mack who just lost his son, 21 years old, released a video this week. If you're going to watch it, grab a box of Kleenex and sit there. But he just simply says, losing a son tragically, man, in the end, God, I'm just grateful for the gift he was, and I trust your goodness, and I'm carrying out. Why? Because when the battle comes, he wants you to be left standing. Then no matter what it is, no matter what it is, I've got a confidence in him. <laughs> It doesn't matter if my prayers were answered the way I thought. It didn't matter if everything went my way. It didn't matter that I have enough faith, not enough. That doesn't matter. In the end, I'll be left standing because it's about him and not about me. It's about his goodness and who he really is and not about me. And we are losing a generation of young people and, and people simply because of this thought that we've fed them the wrong idea of what faith is. We don't control much in this life. So often that's the opposite of confidence in God is I'm going to control it my way. <laughs> We don't control outcomes. We can control, let's say, the, you know, we can say, hey, I'm going to go to Hawaii tomorrow and get on a plane, say, that's how I'm getting there. But we don't control whether that plane lands or where it lands. You know, we can, we can say, hey, you know, this life on the journey of life I'm on, I don't control how many minutes I get, but I can control maybe the way that I'm going to journey this one. And I'm going to journey with just a complete trust in him. See, I don't think it was about this idea of having mustard seed faith that's going to grow into big faith and all that stuff. I think it was simply that Jesus was saying, hey, do you have it or do you not? 
Because you don't need a lot, but you need to have it. If you've got a confidence in God, man, you just watch anything's possible if you just have the confidence in him. And you know the confidence grows when you know him. The more you know him, that confidence just continues to grow. And I, and I don't know if Jesus meant this, but like mustard, uh, when we last year didn't have a lawn, guess what grew? This mustard weed. And I found out where they got the term, won't cut the mustard, because it was about our lawnmower. And I would go out there and see, and it'd be like, you'd mow this stuff down, and it'd just bust it all up, and then the next day, it's all back. And I'm like, what? And I'd walk out there and try and pull it, and that stuff roots in like you wouldn't believe. And I don't know if that was Jesus' point, but it sure spoke to me that that's the kind of faith that just grabs on. It's like, I'm, it holds on for dear life. It's like, it's, there's a confidence. You, it doesn't matter what you throw at it. It's coming back. Man, I, that's why today my hope is that the Jesus followers in this place would trust like mustard. That you would have that trust. It's like it holds on. I'm confident no matter. He's, he's my anchor. It's in him. It's not about me. So in the last thought, to those who are here this morning, you're not Jesus followers. And you're like, someone told me I'd get free lunch if I came to church. You know, <laughs> so I'm here. What was, what was this all about? That was, you know, the truth is that Paul wrote to the Romans that, to have a right relationship with God really simply comes from trusting God. That's it. That is it. To Abraham, the man we talked about, he said this, it's impossible to please God without this confident trust. Anyone who wants to come to him must confidently trust that God exists and he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Trusting God brings you into right relationship with God. We can try all kinds of ways. Maybe you said, you know, I'm going to go to church. If my New Year's resolution, I'll go to church more. Maybe I can feel better about this emptiness on the inside. Maybe like, I think there's a God. I hope, he, I hope he's not angry at me or whatever. I'll do good deeds to try and kind of get, get a little bit better or whatever. His message simply is this, that there's nothing you can do that's going to get you closer to God. The whole idea, uh, every other religion tries that. Jesus, following Jesus is not a religion. It's simply trusting that he did everything, that he came to us. We didn't try to get to him. He came to us while we were still sinners in need of forgiveness and paid for our forgiveness. And if you're here this morning like, man, I got sin, I need forgiveness. Forgiveness is available to you. It is available to you if you would trust him. That he's inviting you to confidently put your trust in him. <laughs> that you would trust him with your life. You think, oh, I don't know if I can trust him. Well, I would challenge you just to come and see. I'd say just, you know, study the life of Jesus and just see if he isn't worth following and find out for yourself. Not just because I say so, but I, man, it, I am so glad in what he did in my life that I leave you with this scripture, Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Christ. For it's the power of God to salvation. That good news, it's, it's at work. It saves everyone who what? Confidently trusts. Jew, Gentile, man, woman, doesn't matter. That good news tells us how God made me right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by trusting him. Not by going to church, not by following rules, not by being a better person, not any of it. Simply, God, I just confidently trust you each and every single day of my life, starting with today. And if you're a Jesus follower, including today, it's through, it is through that confident trust that a righteous person has life. Right with God, simply by trusting God. It, not about how much of this trust you have, but who you put that trust in. It's not, we all have faith. Chairs, boss, whatever else. The question today is, is it really in him? Do you have that confident trust that God, <laughs> no matter what, I trust you've got this. Man, what a peace it brings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. The gift that today is. The fact that we can just simply trust you. We don't know what's coming, but you do. Lord, that we can trust your goodness that every step that you have for us, 
that you're with us through every single one of them. If we find ourselves walking off the path, you're there drawing us back to you. If we find ourselves in, in terrible situations that you haven't abandoned us or left us, God, thank you for the goodness, the goodness of your heart, the goodness of your sacrifice, the goodness of your love for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would embrace what you desired for this thing to be, that we would live life with you, confidently trusting you as we walk out today. May others see that in us. May they see you in us. May their eyes be set on you. God, thank you for this, and thank you for the eternal hope that we have, <laughs> that it's not just about this life, but that we get to spend the rest of eternity with you. Man, what an incredible gift. May we live in light of that today, in your name and for your glory. Amen.